Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends for a variety of different conditions. You can read specifically about all of the ingredients that are in the herbal blends, what you would use them for, and some specifics about the days of your cycle that you would use the herbs. There's also a video for an at-home steaming guide so that you can feel confident that you know what you're doing before you embark on this journey. But if you also don't feel so comfortable just starting on your own, you can also sign up for a consult with me, which is also available at the shop. So go ahead and check out rosebudwellness.com shop. Hello, lovelies, and welcome back. I am excited to bring you this episode today with Tara McCann. She is a menstrual health coach, and it was so fun to talk with her. I love geeking out about menstrual cycle tracking with other women that are just as excited about it as I am. So we get into her personal story, which mostly started with her trying to conceive her her first child, um, which was a little bit of a struggle in the beginning. Um, but through cycle tracking, she was able to learn that her progesterone levels were low, which was not detected on the blood test that she did. Um, so that's one of the benefits of menstrual cycle chart tracking and using your basal body temperature and cervical mucus and potentially cervical position um, rather than just going for whatever blood tests the gynecologist or OB or whoever you're working with um, suggests for you. So she is a testament to how much information you can get out of menstrual cycle tracking and now she does that work with clients as well so she talks about how she does that with her clients, how they use the moon for women that are postmenopausal or have had hysterectomies, or women like me who are still nursing and, and are not cycling currently, or women that are on hormonal birth control. And we, we talk a little bit about that too, and how a lot of women don't realize that hormonal birth control completely shuts off your hormonal system and natural fluctuations that would be happening in your body. Um, which is something that I was not aware of while I was taking birth control for nearly 10 years. Um, so really fun episode talking with her, and I hope you'll enjoy it also. All right, welcome back, everybody. I am here today with Tara McCann, and she is a menstrual health coach. I hope I'm describing what you do correctly. Um, and she's also a mama to two daughters. I believe they are nine and 11. Is that correct? 10 and almost 12. You're close. 10 and almost 12. Okay. So yep. they're right on the cusp of, of puberty. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but mostly today we're going to get into 
menstrual cycle health charting, tracking, things like that, which is what Tara does professionally. Um, and she also has some personal experience of a fertility journey, which is what got her into cycle tracking initially. Um, so I guess let's start maybe with when your first period started, if you had any menstrual irregularities, if you had any history with birth control and what the sort of early phases of menstrual cycle health looked like for you. Yeah, so I, you know, I think I started at a very fairly typical time. I think I was 12 um, and I didn't have a lot of I mean, it felt disruptive to me just because that's what society told me it should be, that it should be painful and you're supposed to have the all and all of those things to take care of it. But, it, you know, now that I know the gamut of what can happen in menstrual cycles, I think it was, it was fairly typical and easy. I had, you know, cramps for two or three days, but there was nothing that kept me out of school and things like that. Um, my flow was pretty regular. I didn't ever have a lot of irregularities. Um, I used birth control for short periods of time, but didn't have like a long history of using birth control. And so when my husband and I decided to get pregnant, I was like, well, my cycle's fine. It's always been fine. It's been really regular. We're going to be pregnant in no time. And, you know, he and I were both older, you know, we would be probably fall into the old age, or the what do they call it? Geriatric pregnancies or whatever. Which is Annoyingly. Terrible. That's what they call it. Yeah. Oh my God. That's the worst terminology. How old were you when you were trying to conceive? Initially? 35. 35. Okay. So my yeah, oldest. Just like right when it transitions into geriatric. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I was, yeah, I'll, I'll share a little bit more of my story, but I, I was a geriatric pregnancy for both my pregnancies. So yeah, I, I just heard that term and just cringed, of course. Uh, but I had never had any big disruptions with my cycle. My flow had been regular. It had been three, four, five days. It and it was consistent. And so I never experienced any irregularity or big period problems. So I assumed that we would get pregnant right away because my husband was healthy, I was healthy. And so it just kind of, that's, the, that's what we're told, right? That if you're both healthy, you'll just get pregnant. And what we found was not that at all. So we tried unsuccessfully by ourselves for, who nine months, almost a year. And then my friend had an OB that she had worked with that had helped her. Uh, she had had recurrent miscarriages, but it, she said, go see this doctor. He's really great. And so I went in and got all the tests done. And, you know, basically the doctor explained that, you know, that a third of infertility is male related. A third of it is female related. And a third of it is unknown. And I walked out of that meeting saying, oh, well, I'm two thirds of the problem. So I took all of that on myself. And the first thing he offered was here, you know, take some Clomid. We'll just, you know, have you making more eggs and you'll get pregnant. And I really was not ready to do that yet. I had this inkling somewhere deep in my mind that even though we tried for a year, that my body could do more. Like I just knew that there was something else available to me. So we didn't do any treatments at that point in time. I started, I found an acupuncturist who specialized in fertility. And so I did twice a month treatments with her and we did specific Chinese herbs that were specific to each portion of my cycle. Um, I had started tracking my cycle through this whole 
all of this journey, um, my friend had given me Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler, which is a fabulous book for anyone who just wants to know their own cycle well. Uh, so I was charting, I was doing the temperature every day and learning about my body and using the herbs and using acupuncture. So I started making shifts and I started, one of the things that was noticeable in my charting was that I had a short second half of my cycle. So, you know, I was under a lot of stress and all of these things so that my short, I, I was not making enough progesterone to really hold a pregnancy. How many days was it? It was 10 or 11 days. So it okay. wasn't super short, but it was not, it was not robust. Um, and did you it, notice that there was a pretty significant temperature shift and then it did say stay high, but it just would drop off in a shorter time period than you would expect? I wouldn't say it was a giant shift. No, like, okay. there was a shift, but it wasn't, you know, I, it was noticeable. Like I could see it. I could draw my line. I knew that it was there. But then it just kind of started tapering off. Sorry, people can't see my hands. <laughs> so it started okay. tapering off <laughs> um, and it slowly declined and it didn't stay that full higher temperature for 10 to 12 days or for up to 14 days. So that was one of the things that, that I worked on a lot. I started making some lifestyle shifts for myself. I, uh, during this time I went gluten-free and so, and this was, 13 years ago. So gluten-free was not as easy as it is today. So I was mixing my own flowers and testing out all of the terrible products that were on the market at that point in time. But I did notice that it made a huge difference in the inflammation in my body and my seasonal allergies pretty much went away. So that is one of the big contributing factors, I think, to me being able to become pregnant. We did lots of other things too, but that was one of the biggest factors was I just decreased the inflammation in my body so that my body could just be more efficient and do what it needed to do. Um, so I made those changes and that took about a year and then we still weren't pregnant. And so what I was- What were the other changes at that yes. point? Yeah, so gluten-free was probably the biggest one, but during that time I quit a really stressful job that I was in. So made some work shift changes and then, um, you know, working on sleep habits and sleeping better, working on managing my stress and finding activities and joy that I, that I could bring into my life because so much of the time I was caught up in this. I just had my period. So now I'm devastated, but wait, I have to gear up because I ovulate in 14 days. So I have to be happy to ovulate. And so that we can, you know, have, have intercourse and have sex and then you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. And then there's all the fear that builds up during that two week wait of, oh, I might not be pregnant again, but I don't, I want to be so hopeful during this time as well. So, you know, finding ways to bring more joy and, and managing my stress during that time was important um, as well as the food shifts and changes that I made. I think those were, were big pieces in helping that. Mm -hmm. um, we did actually go in and start doing reproductive medicine. However, uh, after it had been two years that we had been trying and it, it, you know, we weren't getting any younger. My husband's older than I am and I was already 36 or 34. So we did uh, actually five rounds of IUI, so interuterine in, uh, insemination. And between the fourth and the fifth round, I had to have a hysteroscopy. I had a benign polyp. Mm -hmm. So they removed a polyp 
Um, and then on that fifth round, because that was the last round that I could do IUI with this reproductive medicine facility. So the next jump was IVF. And so I knew that this was kind of my last chance to say something. And I asked the doctor if we could add progesterone to my regimen after my, um, after the IUI, because I knew that it was my progesterone. You know, I knew in my heart, I had two years worth of charts, which he didn't, he disregarded, but that's fine. But I knew in my own body and in my heart that that was what was needed. And so I had, I got progesterone for that cycle and we got pregnant and we stayed pregnant. And so that really was one of the most powerful pieces that came out of that journey. And, you know, in the midst of it, I didn't know it, but I know it now that I was able to know my body so well that I could advocate in a space that isn't always the most conducive to patients saying, this is what I need and what I want. So for me, that's one of the biggest pieces of charting is that you can know your body so well that you can really advocate for yourself, whether it's fertility or it's trying to go and get an endometriosis diagnosis or a PCOS diagnosis, something like that, that take often years to become diagnosed, which is incredibly frustrating. But if you can go in there with documentation and this is what I feel and this is how it feels and it's always on these days of my cycle, then you are just, you know, then you can go and you can doctor, you know, find a doctor who will listen to you, but you can really advocate for yourself because you just know yourself so well. So I think that that is, that's a piece of it. So I, I got pregnant and we had our daughter and then nine months later, after she was nine months old, we got pregnant again. So really quick pregnancies. And that was, we're like, well, if it's going to take year, two years, we should probably start trying. <laughs> and then there she was. So it was one of those that it was really quick and my body definitely had not fully recovered from my first pregnancy. I was still nursing full time. She was eating some, but I was still nursing um, and then was pregnant again. And so after two pregnancies and years of trying and then childbirth and my body was just not doing well. And so healthy, successful pregnancy, all of those things, but my body was just not, I was worn down and I was tired and my body was depleted. And so I found a health coach who would help me. And that started me on my journey of health coaching, finding programs where I could be trained. And initially my health coaching was really focused on fertility and preconception and, and being that support system that I didn't feel like I had. Um, my acupuncturist was amazing, but I, I also, there was other pieces that I wanted to fit in. And so I really, and to have that support of someone who's been through it as well, I think was really, was really important for me. So that was where my journey with the work that I do now began and it's evolved since then. But um, yeah, that's, that's how I got started in all of this. So when you were when you knew that you needed progesterone to support your first pregnancy, did you got pushback about that? Were they kind of like, oh, you don't really need that? Or were they pretty respectful of your desire? They were, <laughs> I don't know what the best way to describe it is. They didn't really believe it, but they didn't say no. Okay. You know, they were like, well, it's not gonna hurt anything, so okay. 
it was a reluctant okay but it wasn't like sure if that's what you think you need we can try that it was like oh okay well I guess and the vibe did they ever test it for you uh with a blood test or no I think I had had blood testing done you know because you're pretty you're you're well managed as far as that but I don't think it was low enough because progesterone's usually tested like day 21, mm-hmm. right? So I think that my day 21 progesterone was fine, but when it got to day 26, 27, those days that the egg is actually gonna start implanting and be, need to have that support, it, it just tapered off. And so I just never was able to hold a pregnancy past, I think I had you know a 42 day cycle, which really isn't a long cycle in grand scheme of things when you're trying to get pregnant, but I was never able to hold my progesterone long enough to even have the, the full implantation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there, I can very much relate on tracking your cycle and how it's not just looking at like, I got my period this day and then my next period was this day. Mm-hmm. It's also seeing the day-to-day shifts and when you actually ovulate and there are a lot of particularly western medicine but also in acupuncture school they kind of taught us like day 14 is when women ovulate and that's just not always or even often the case um so there's just so much information that you can get from when you're tracking like when you actually ovulate based on your basal body temperature and your cervical mucus which I've talked in previous episodes about fertility awareness, but that's basically what we're talking about um, here. And because you were practicing that, you saw something that the doctors weren't able to see. I was, and they were, you know, I took my charts in, I took my charts into the reproductive medicine clinic and they're like, we don't need those. You know, they just dismissed all of the information and the knowledge that I had at that point in time, I was not willing to go to a different doctor and say, look, I know this about myself because at the point I was at in my journey, I, I just we really wanted a baby. Like this yeah. was what we needed to do at the time. However, I was able to say, I think I need this. And I was empowered enough because I knew the next step was much more intense that like, this is my last chance to say something. Yeah. So... And so what about for your second pregnancy? Did you also have to supplement with some additional progesterone or your body was able to sustain that? No problem. Yeah, my body was able to sustain that. It was, um, it was, a, I don't want to say an easy pregnancy, but there was, there was no complications. I didn't have to do any shifts or changes um, as far as progesterone or, or anything else. You know, we got pregnant on our own. We didn't have to do any reproductive medicine or anything like that. Um, yeah. So it, it went very smoothly. Yeah. So then maybe let's go into what happened after, um, after your two daughters were born so closely together. Um, maybe you can talk about this health coach that you were working with, some of the recommendations that they made and some of the shifts that you made in your lifestyle, um, whether it was like diet or sleep or exercise or like certain ways that you were setting up your life. Um, and how that has led towards how your business has shifted too from working primarily with fertility to tracking your menstrual cycle for, it sounds like, I mean, at this point, it's not for um, conception, it's tracking your fertility for your overall health, for understanding your overall health. So maybe you can talk about some of that. 
Yeah. So when I went to see the, um, the health coach, I was, you know, I was trying to exercise. So I was exercising four days a week. Um, but I was having trouble losing weight. So I didn't, I felt heavy and just kind of stuck in my body. Um, I was having some pain, I think in my shoulder and in my hip. And so there was some pain there and, um, I was just tired all the time. And with two little ones, there's part of that is to be expected, but the exhaustion that I felt was just really, it was really hard for me. And I knew that I needed some kind of help somewhere. Um, and so, and it, again, it went back to that feeling I had after seeing that first doctor that I knew my body could do things, you know, my, I knew my body could do more. Um, and so a lot of what we worked on was, um, you know, I had already gone gluten-free, so shifted more towards, um, you know, eating more vegetables and eating clean proteins and things like that. So shifting more towards a paleo diet, but it wasn't specifically strictly paleo, um, you know, and then learning how my body reacted to different foods. So, you know, my body doesn't necessarily feel good with a lot of plant-based proteins. I had experimented with being vegetarian for a while and my body just doesn't feel good on that. So there was the experimentation of seeing how my body felt best and, um, you know, definitely working on sleep. Uh, this, my health coach was also a yoga instructor. And so we worked a lot on, you know, strengthening and repositioning to help with my physical pain so that I could move more fluidly so that exercise felt better so that just movement in general in my body so that I could sleep better and those types of things, you know, how, what's your sleep routine like and how does that impact and how much sleep are you getting? Um, I'm trying to remember if at that point in time, I was still getting up in the middle of the night. I don't think I was, but my youngest daughter, um, for a very long time thought 4:30 was the start of the day. So, you know, <laughs> so that, that was a little challenging for yeah. a while. Um, so yeah, so just working on revamping my sleep's and, and um, changing the foods that I ate so that the, the foods that I ate gave me the energy that I needed uh, and movement and things like that. So incorporating those types of things and then yoga for stretching and body awareness and also just for relaxation and things like that. Just that stress, that time away that I could have for myself that was managing my stress. And so I know that one of the things that you do with your clients is to track sort of like their energy and emotion. Um, you can clarify anything if you feel like I'm off base about anything, yeah. saying, but um, to track it daily so that they can sort of see what's happening throughout their cycle. So is that something that you were doing at that time or something that you, you do now? Right. It's more something that I do now. I wasn't I wasn't tracking my cycle as consistently at that point in time because I felt like I knew my cycle pretty well. And so I would generally kind of know what it was doing and things like that. But the shift towards tracking on a daily basis, the, like the energy shifts and those types of things, because the, the tracking I did back then was definitely focused on what's your temperature, what is your um, cervical fluid look like, and when does your period start? And then, you know, a little bit of energy and things like that, but not not as distinctly as I do now. <clears throat> so that came out of work with um, understanding the phases of the cycle, understanding 
how and when our hormones shift throughout the cycle and what that means for us. So there's a time when, you know, our estrogen is rising that our energy also rises and comes to this peak around ovulation. And then it starts to decrease and progesterone is that, you know, our relaxing hormone, our sleepy hormone. And so our energy is not as full in the second half of our cycle. Uh, so just those pieces of it, helping women to understand that they may not feel the same every day and that there's a reason why they may not feel the same and helping them to understand that it's cyclical, right? So that energy is going to come back again and to not fight your body to do something in the moment that's not a sense of ease, right? I don't want to say easy, but there is times in your cycle where things are easier and things flow really smoothly. And so if you can like focus that period of time on the things that are really easy and know that it will come back again, then you can just kind of be in this wonderful flow of your cycle with movement and eating and, and energy and all of these things. And, and it can help so much with just life in general, whole, all of your life. Yeah, maybe you can talk about um, all of the, the four phases of the cycle and sort of <laughs> what the main aspects that women can enjoy during those different phases might look like in terms of like what they uh, might be doing, whether in their work or in their relationships or anything like that. Yeah, I would love to. I'd love to talk about this. Uh, so I think in one of your episodes, you had, had described the follicular phase as being from menstruation to ovulation, and then the luteal phase from ovulation to the next menstruation. And so I use those terms, but I also throw in a phase for menstruation. So for the time that you're bleeding, it is technically part of your follicular phase, but I kind of separate it out. Um, and then I also separate ovulation a little bit as its own phase, um, but it does fit directly into what you have described previously. Mm -hmm. So menstruation, so that's day one of your cycle. So the first day of full bleeding, not spotting and things like that. So menstruation really is a time when our energy is focused internally. And so you may notice that you don't really want to be social. You may notice that you're quieter or more restful. Our hormones really are at their lowest levels. So you may not have a lot of energy to do things. Um, and this is also just a really great time when you are connected to that internal focus that you can kind of reevaluate for yourself what's working and what's not working in your life. And when we think about the time before we bleed, right before we bleed, we think of that often as PMS or something like that. But those things that come up for us that may have been irritating, when we bring those into the time that we're bleeding, and then we can really look at what is it about that situation that's not working for me anymore? Do I need to set a boundary? Do I need to stop doing something? Do I need to have a conversation with someone? And you can move through the menstruation, the time if you're bleeding, um, and really set some intentions and set yourself up for the month because you have this internal connection with yourself and with your body. And it really is a time for rest. And so within the cycle, there's a time to be out and doing things and creating things and getting things done. But this really is the time to rest. And when we cue into that and give ourselves more of that rest, then the rest of the cycle flows much more smoothly. And I think that we get caught up in the kind of the masculine energy of get up, get stuff done, get it done, then go to bed at night and repeat, right? Repeat it every day. 
And men's testosterone cycle does that every day. Mm -hmm. But as women, our, our cycle shifts over a month long. And so we have to be aware of what our shifts are and notice what's true for us. And so that's why tracking can be really powerful. So men menstruation is the first. And then the second phase is the follicular phase. And so this is when the egg is growing. Your estrogen is increasing during this time. This is really a time for creativity. So you may notice that you like have all of these ideas coming up and, and things like that. One thing that I noticed though with women is as soon as, you know, if they start to give themselves some rest during menstruation, and then they start to feel that energy, they're like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm gonna go do all the things. And what I try and instill in my clients is, you know, this is like springtime. So thinking about, you know, those shoots are just popping up. Those new ideas are just coming up and we don't wanna blast them with August sun. So really being mindful of moving slowly, letting your energy build, um, having those, those ideas, being really curious and playful. Uh, if you're, you have a job where you do a lot of writing or things like that, this can be a great time to um, write blog posts or write letters or things like that that you need to do um, written wise. And then so moving into the next phase is ovulation. And so this is the peak of all of our hormones, the peak of estrogen, and this is when the egg is released. And so this is a time when our body is really primed to do things very socially and to be out in the world. And so uh, when we're thinking about like, if you had things during menstruation that you, that came up and you're like, I need to have a conversation with someone, menstruation is not necessarily the time to have that, but ovulation is. So if you need to have a conversation with a partner or someone at work, holding on to that conversation until you are around ovulation, because your verbal skills are really good. They flow very smoothly at that time you are open and receptive to other ideas. And so it's a great time to have those conversations because the give and the take can be so, can flow so much more easily um, during that time. It's also a great time to just be social. Like if you wanna go try a new exercise class or you wanna have a girls night or get together with friends, like this is the time when your energy is really primed to do those things. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I think those are the main highlights of, of that time. And then the, the after ovulation is the luteal phase. And so that is when our progesterone starts to come up after the egg has ovulated. So I think of it as kind of in two parts. So the first kind of week, cause it's usually 12 to 14 days. So the first six or seven days, you still have a lot of that bigger, fuller summertime type energy, but this really is more like autumn. And so your energy may be starting to come down but you'll, you may notice that this is a time when you really want to get stuff checked off your list. So it's a really a great time to, to get things done and to do detail work. Um, you know, if you need to balance your checkbook or do some accounting work or clean out your closet, this is a really great time to do those types of activities. And then moving into the second week, this is when our, you know, we typically think of this as PMS, but I try and, I really try and instill in the women who work with me that really it's information. Your body's giving you so much information about what's going on inside of you internally that if you can think of it as, as information, you know, then we can work with it and find, kind of investigate what's going on. So often your energy is 
decreasing during this time, you may still be finishing up tasks, uh, but using that energy during this time to create support systems for yourself so that you can really, really pull back your energy during your next flea, whether that's meal prepping so that you have enough food that you can just kind of pull out of the freezer or, you know, going shopping before the first day of your bleed so that you have some quick, easy meals that you can throw together that you're not going to have to be standing in the kitchen creating meals, whether it's, you know, having childcare lined up so that you can get a little bit more space and time or having conversations with your partner about, hey, you know, in the next three or four days, I'm going to need a little bit more time to myself. And so creating those systems for yourself so that you're really well supported in the ability to be able to take that time uh, away for yourself and so that you can really connect with yourself back in that time of bleeding, um, where it's, it's also a great time to journal during the bleeding phase too. I forgot to mention that last time, but you know that's how you can kind of work some of those things out and set those new intentions is by connecting back in with yourself. I mean, this is all just so, I mean, it didn't take you that long to just explain that. So why can't they just explain that to high school girls? My, <laughs> my I don't like, know this is how your body works. And this is how you can take care of yourself during all of the different phases. Um, anyways, that's a story for another day. But <laughs> it is. <laughs> I know that, that you also work um, with women that maybe don't have cycles, which I'm actually in that phase right now because I'm nursing and haven't gotten my cycle back yet. Or if you are menopausal, if you've had a full hysterectomy, um, or, uh, women with IUDs, I, IUDs, or even on birth control, like there's actually, that's one, something I wanted to specifically ask you about mm -hmm. is sort of like how you work with women that don't have cycles. And I know you, you use the moon as a guide, so you can certainly talk about that too. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also curious to know if women seem to be aware that hormonal birth control in particular um, is not regulating their cycle, that it's actually turning off their hormonal system entirely. Mm -hmm. Because I work with women that are at all sorts of age ranges. And a lot of women come to me for fertility, but not everybody. So mm -hmm. some women are on a hormonal IUD or on the birth control pill or you know some other variation of hormonal birth control. And most of them don't realize that it's not actually a period when they get a bleed, mm -hmm. a withdrawal bleed from being on hormonal birth control or if they don't get a period at all, if they're on an IUD, for example, they don't recognize that that's not allowing their body to go through these cyclical changes. So I wonder if that's a conversation that you have, or do you just invite them to track how they're feeling and see what they experience with trying to be more aware of the, the moon cycles or yeah, like how does, how does that work exactly? Yeah, it, well, it works lots of different ways depending on where women are. So part of it can be if a woman has had a hysterectomy but still has her ovaries, she may still be cycling. She just doesn't know when day one is. So then we then we kind of track it. And so she can figure out when her day one or approximate when her day one is. Um, women who are in perimenopause or menopause or um, 
or maybe you, you know, in your situation that are nursing and things like that, I really try to use the moon cycle as the framework to one, notice what their body's doing. So noticing if they have those shifts, but also to create those shifts and changes in their life so that during the new moon, the time and around the dark of the moon, which would be the same as our menstruation, how do you create more time and space for rest during those times? How do you create activities that help you to reconnect with yourself and your vision and your body? Um, and then in the springtime, how do you have some creative time for a week or so during that waxing moon? As the moon is growing, your energy grows, like how do you notice those things or add more time in for those activities? So a piece of it is noticing because in some cases, women do actually have those cues for themselves that they maybe just are not interpreting because even some women with hormonal IUDs do notice some shifts because it is a lower amount of hormones. And so, you know, sometimes they are getting some ovulation or, you know, a little bit of those hormonal shifts. So really just tuning in and connecting with what's going on in their body and then because we are cyclical beings, even if we don't have our cycle anymore, our body likes to work in that way. And so the creating of that, you know, this is the time where I do all of my big conversations around the full moon, or this is my time where I check things off my list in the, you know, in the waning moon time, um, and then getting myself prepared for the new moon and how I can take time off. And so there's a piece of understanding your own body. And then there's a piece of just using that rhythm so that you're moving in a cyclical way that your body recognizes and just not fighting with your body anymore. So do you find that you have to explain to women on hormonal birth control that they're, that they are not in fact regulating their cycle? Um, and, and do they seem pretty receptive to that right away? Or is it kind of confusing to them? I in think, general? yeah, in general, I think that a lot of women were told that it would fix their period. And so that is the common story that we all have in, in our, in our lives. It's like, oh, at 14, you have irregular periods, just go on the pill and it'll fix everything. When, as you said, it doesn't, it, it takes away your body's cyclical rhythms that we're talking about and gives you just, just hormones that are in this flat level pretty much for the whole, for the whole cycle. And then it takes those hormones away and then you get the withdrawal bleed. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think women really have a realization of that. And so there's a lot of women who are like, oh, I didn't know that that wasn't a bleed. I didn't realize I thought that was my period because that's what we're taught. So I think there is some education around that. And I think still women are surprised at that. And, um, and you know, some women, it's just, it depends on where they are in their journey. Some women are ready to um, try something different and, and look at things in a different way. And some women are, you know, this is the way it is. And so I think the conversation goes different with, with each woman, depending on their space and their journey and things like that. But I think a lot of women are receptive to it. And I think I hear from so many women when I speak or when I you know, start working with women, like, why wasn't I taught this? Like you said, like, it took me 10 minutes to explain it. <laughs> like, why can't we just add this piece into a health class? 
because I think it's it's good for both men and women to know and to understand because there's such a a feeling of shame around it or that you know there's shame or it should be hidden or just misinformation mm -hmm. <laughs> about that and so women don't always get the help they need because they feel like well it's just part of being a woman I just have to endure this where um, I'm sure you've seen in your practice that many women can get relief from a lot of period pain by making shifts in their lifestyle by you know clearing things with acupuncture and using herbs and things like that you it's really common for people to have period pain but it's not normal our body is not meant to be in such pain and so there are structural reasons why it might be in pain but there's also so much we can do to help decrease that absolutely yeah i mean i i was just curious to know um yeah if women are able to to see beyond what they had been taught um because i know for me i was on hormonal birth control for almost 10 years and i never knew that when i was bleeding that it wasn't actually anything to do with what my hormones were doing mm -hmm. i did i do remember knowing that i wasn't ovulating like i remember that somehow being something i was aware of at 15 but i didn't connect ovulation to being part of you know it just like the whole thing wasn't ever clearly <laughs> explained and i think mm -hmm. it's it really is accessible for a teenager to understand this kind of stuff. Right, um, right. And I think that we're so much in the mode of preventing pregnancy that yeah. it's like, oh, I'm not ovulating, perfect. Yes. Not realizing all of the benefits of ovulation and not understanding that, um, that it's not really a bleed, that yeah. when you don't ovulate, it's not actually a, a period bleed. So, yeah. That's actually a good point to something else I wanted to, to ask you about. I think that one of the, the, things that I get resistance from women, if they're not looking to get pregnant there, it's very easy for them to just say like, you know, what, I'm just going to be on birth control forever. My, I have no interest in having children. Why do I need to have this thing that is completely irrelevant, which I know that you and I know it has so many other aspects that are important to our overall health. So maybe you can talk about that a little bit for the listeners. Um, like why you would want to be cycle tracking beyond trying to conceive? Well, one that we've touched on already is just your energy levels and not fighting with your body and, and understanding and knowing what's true for you, as opposed to thinking that you're broken because you think this is so abnormal. Um, I had one woman who thought she was exhausted every day of the month and she tracked with me and she found out it was four days of the month that she was really tired and the rest of the month she had pretty good energy. So we get these thoughts in our head, um, but ovulation, you know, provides the, the ability to produce progesterone, which is an anti-anxiety hormone. It helps give us really good sleep when it's full and robust. And, you know, there's health benefits to having our hormones shift. I mean, it helps to take care of our bones and keep us from getting osteoporosis. It protects our heart and it protects our brain and just our bodies are meant to cycle. Like they're, the hormones that are sex hormones are not just interacting on their own. They influence our blood sugar and they influence our mood hormones and they influence just so many things that, that our hormones don't work alone. Mm -hmm. They work in concert with other hormones and there's receptors for these hormones throughout our body. And so by 
taking away those hormones, then we are taking away the benefits that they give as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that Western medicine in particular is so compartmentalized that it's just like, oh, well, these are your these are your sex hormones. So they're only related to your period and getting pregnant and they have nothing to do with anything else, but they're receptors for our sex sex hormones all over our entire body. So as you said, they affect you on a systemic level. So anyways, um, one other thing I wanted to talk about was this sort of paying attention to the moon cycles and then also Um, paying attention to the cycles that exist within your own body. I'm assuming that you probably don't have an agenda about like lining yourself up with the moon cycle. Um, (laughs) But it, I'm curious to know if, so if say, I mean, the general idea is that you ovulate at the full moon and then you bleed at the new moon and I don't know if you've ever heard of this like red versus white woman yeah so then there's this other thing where you can have it the reverse where you ovulate at the new moon and you bleed on the full moon and they they mean different things um but outside of that if you're just like not aligning with a moon cycle at all basically the way that you're approaching life and these sort of seasons and where you are cyclically you're mostly attending to where you are and outside, yeah, so more than the moon cycle. Um, but do you ever observe that like having that disconnection of like the energy that's happening outside of like, okay, we're in a full moon and the rest of the world is ovulating. You know what I mean? Not really, but like right. sort of uh, metaphorically. Right. Or if we're in a new moon season, um, but you know, I'm ovulating, like if there's this sort of like disconnection between the outside world and your personal experience, if if that ever seems to affect either you or people that you work with that you've observed. Yeah, we actually talk about this quite a bit because I do, even in the tracking programs that I do where women aren't tracking with the moon, I bring the moon in because, you know, some of us ovulate at the new moon, some of us ovulate at the full moon, and some of us ovulate sometimes in between. And because the, you know, the moon cycle is 28 or 28, 29 days, sometimes it matches up. My cycle is 28, 29, 30 days. And so I shift, like there are times in the year that I do bleed at the new moon, ovulate at the full moon, but then it shifts. Like I can watch it shift. And so that's why on the menstrual cycle tracker that I developed, I have the moons so that you can track where the moon is, because I think it is really interesting to notice those times where if I am bleeding at the full moon, as you say, when people have this bigger, fuller energy is out and around you, but my energy is really pulled in close to myself, there can be kind of like a dissonance is the way I describe it. Like it just doesn't match and it feels different. And you may feel a little bit wobbly in that space. Like, I don't know really what's going on. And my emotions are all over the place, but you know, what's happening to me and maybe I have more energy, but then it crashes or, you know, so those, those things happen. And the same thing would happen if you are, you know, which one did I do bleeding at the full moon? (laughs) So if you are ovulating at the new moon, you know, so there's, there can be those kind of, I don't want to say they're conflicting. They're just different energies that, you know, when I teach tracking, I really teach 
women to check in with what's going on in your own body, because what's true to you is, is the important thing. And I want women to know and trust that they are the experts on themselves and they know themselves better than anyone. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we just have to connect back to that. And I think we get away from that. But there are these influences out in the wider world that impact the way that we feel in our cycle on any given day. And so it can be interesting to track what that is, because if you notice it coming up, you know, my one of my daughters gets pulled by the full moon a lot, and she has a lot of upset around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my children aren't cycling yet, but I can track it. And I actually, during COVID, I, my husband was like, is it a full moon? I was like, yeah, it's a full moon because he noticed the shifts and the changes that were happening. Um, and so children, especially, I feel like are pulled by those, um, feelings a lot. So if you were living in a household with children, you may notice those energy shifts. And so how does that impact how you feel where you are in your cycle? Do you have the matching energy for them? Or are you at a space that you can have the calm, quiet energy of the luteal phase when everybody else is having this big energy of the full moon? So it can be very interesting to notice and to just give yourself the comfort of, oh, there's something else going on that may be impacting this. And it, and it may not, you may not feel it, but sometimes you might. And so it's, it's just nice to know. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, because it is kind of something that people just kind of peripherally talk about, like, Oh, women's psyching with the sink, sinking their cycles with the moon. And, you know, it's never the goal really, but it's just kind of an interesting thing to observe. Yeah, it's not a goal. I, I don't think the goal should be to fit your cycle into any anything. I think yeah. that learning what's true for you is the really is the really most valuable piece. And understanding that each of us has our own unique cycle, excuse me, and experiences it differently. Mm-hmm. However, when you gather women together that are cycling, you will often find that things happen that are the same. Like one of my groups, I had three women who said they're their period pain changed after they had kids. Like every one of them said, oh, I have this lower right pain that I get before my period. And each one of them said, oh, I thought I was the only one because it had changed for them after after they had had kids. And so having that comfort of knowing that you're not alone in what you're feeling is really huge. Absolutely. So um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is what kind of conversation are you having with your daughters at this point about menstruation or birth control? Is, is that on your or their radar? Are they hearing things at school about it that you feel kind of like, uh, you know, don't say that to my daughter or, or is it not really so much a part of, of the conversation around like their friends and at school and things like that yet? You know, they do have some like health classes at school and the, the woman that comes in to teach the classes at my girl's school is fabulous. And she also teaches some parent classes. And so her, her, um, her teaching style is very, you know, she uses the real words for the body parts and the anatomy and teaches them that. And, you know, my girls come home and cringe and like, I don't want to hear about that. So, you know, they're, they're 10 and almost 12. So those conversations are kind of get spurred by, by some of that, that at, at school. Um, and I bought them a couple of books so that they, you know, can have the information for themselves. They can look at it and then it, then they can come ask a question. 
and be like, oh, this is, I've noticed this, you know, whether it's, you know, as children develop, if, if their breasts are developing or if they're noticing the start of cervical fluid coming before, <clears throat> before their bleed starts. And so just noticing those shifts and changes. And so we talk a lot about um, what to expect and what might be happening. And the way I started those conversations was I, you know, we started talking a little bit about it when they came up out of school and then they know what I do. And so I talk about menstruation a lot. Um, I also try to be pretty good about saying, hey, this is where I am in my cycle and this is what's going on. I might be a little more tired today. Um, but I also think that modeling piece, we want to model like, hey, I'm ovulating today and I feel great. Like I feel like I can do all of these things so that we don't perpetuate that social story that's out there in the world that it's only PMS in our periods we talk about. Like, let's talk about all of the creativity that happens in the follicular phase and, and talk about that as well. So, you know, we don't have full conversations. We have snippets of conversations and it's really, um, you know, I talk about things a lot because I talk about my work, but um, when they come to me with something, then I give them a little bit and then let them take that and then they come back again. So I, I really think it's an ongoing conversation that you can start to have you know, either have books around or start talking about your own cycle and what's going on for yourself. I think that model is, is huge. Um, Do you feel like it's something that they're looking forward to because you've kind of <laughs> presented no. it? Not really. No, <laughs> no, I think that, you know, um, I think it's still like, I don't think they're scared of it, but I don't think they're like, that's a big change. And so like, I don't think I want that, you know, they're still like, I want to be a kid. I don't want to. So I think there's that feeling. So I think that it's not fear of, oh my God, what's going to happen. It's like, I'm too young for this. <laughs> so I think yeah. that's part of the conversation. And, um, yeah. And so that's why I'm, I'm actually starting to develop some teen courses that, that we can start to talk to, you know, tweens a little bit, those girls who, maybe haven't started, but are on the cusp or girls who have just kind of started. And then girls who have cycled, young women who have cycled for a few more years, just to give them this understanding of their own bodies, which I think is really important. Yeah, I will definitely be following your work on that because that is such a passion of mine is that I'm like, why did I not have this information when I, I was know. a teenager? It just it would have changed the entire trajectory of my life. And there's, I mean, I don't look back and think like, oh, my life would have been so much better. And, you know, but it, I think that there just would have been a lot less struggle and maybe I would have been able to honor some of like what we've been talking about today. Some of the natural shifts that were happening in my body that I was viewing as like wrong or bad that are mm -hmm. actually just a normal part of being a woman. So exactly. Or, or a female yeah. bodied person. So yeah. And I yeah. think, you know, the, the younger we can start talking about those things, then we can make, you know, bigger, bigger shifts in the world that, you know, because of those cultural stories that we've all been told, the more we can start to shift that with younger and younger people, then they can just go out into the world and be like, yep, I'm bleeding. Right. And here yeah. I am, yeah. you know? So yeah, I think that that's, that's the way we start to change those stories. So there's a long way to go. Yes. <laughs> Um, well, I'm glad you're fighting the good fight uh, for us all. 
And if you can share now about some of the offerings that you have, I know that you do some one-on-one -on -one work and you have some groups and things, so you can maybe talk a little bit. We've, we've kind of talked about them a little bit uh, yeah. throughout the conversation, but if you, anything else specific that you want to share about that and then uh, where people can find you, like your website or where you're most active on social media platforms too. Sure, I would love to. So the, um, the main program that we kind of talked about here is uh, my program called Tracking with Friends. And so it's a small group program where three to five women come together and we track our cycles together each and every day. Because I heard from so many women that it's like, oh, I do want to track, but I get four or five days in and then I just kind of quit and I forget about it and it just isn't top of mind. So this really is a 30 day program and it really is about accountability. Like how do we stay accountable so that we are tracking this and gaining this information? And it's about coming together in community to talk about something that is often TMI, right? That people don't wanna hear about it. We may live with a spouse and small children and our spouse doesn't wanna hear about it and our kids could care less. And so where do we find these spaces where we can talk about this and share and find that community? Um, and then and then the other piece of it is, is my, my assistance in helping you figure out what the patterns are in your cycle so that you know what's true for you. So I have one program that is for women who are currently having a bleed and a cycle, and that's the tracking with friends portion. Tracking with the moon is for women who, for whatever reason, aren't having a current bleed. Um, but we talk about you know, those women who may still be cycling, we try, try and pick out those patterns. And then for the women who aren't cycling, we talk about how do you incorporate this cyclical rhythm throughout the month using the moon. Uh, the program with teens, it will be tracking with teens. And so it will be more of a six week program. Um, and so we'll kind of have an introductory time and then we'll go through the phases one each week and then we'll kind of have a wrap up time. Um, and there'll be like a bonus parent session because I want parents to understand what I'm talking about and have feel safe that, you know, it's not sex education. It is really about empowering girls to understand what's going on in their own bodies. So that is another piece. And then I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. So three and six month programs for women who are really ready to dive in and make those changes with their lifestyle and with their nutrition and you know sleep habits and all of those things that are supportive of staying in the flow of their cycle. And then we track throughout, like we really do track and we see what those changes that we're making, what impact they have on the cycle because hormonal shifts take a long time. It's not like, oh, I'm gonna take this and my hormone is, you know, my hormones are gonna change and it will be forever changed. It's something that builds upon itself. It takes three to six months to make really significant hormonal shifts and changes. And so it really is that longer term building of a new lifestyle that is supportive of you staying in the flow. Great. And then um, where, where can people find you? Oh, where can people find me? So my website is taramccannwellness.com and I am most active on Instagram. So at taramccannwellness on Great. Instagram. Cool. Yeah. And I'll link that in the show notes so people will know how to spell it. And everything. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Tara. It's been great talking with you. Thank you. It was wonderful. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you feel so called, please give us a rating and a review so other people can find the podcast more easily.
thanks again. Until next time.